Coleman National Monument in Chicago, Illinois, with your host, Dr. Lynn Hughes. We welcome you to Live from the Pullman National Monument, our global cast magazine format talk radio show, where we discuss all things cultural economic development, i.e. tourism, and we hold informative conversations on the arts, music, business, and people. I'm your host, Dr. Lynn Hughes, founder of the National A. Philip Randolph Pullman Porter Museum, a National Park Service site in Chicago, Illinois. Good day to you, my listening audience, and we thank you for joining us. Stay with us. Today's show is brought to you by the Pullman Messenger Magazine and Hughes-Peterson Publishing, partially underwritten by Choose Chicago, the premier tourism marketing agency in Chicago, Illinois. Visit the PullmanBorderMuseum.com where you can purchase an annual membership at the level of your choice. And, of course, visit our website here to find out more about the show live from the Pullman National Monument at bbsradio.com forward slash live from PNM to contact us. And good afternoon and welcome. Welcome to another show. We are live from the Pullman National Monument, a National Park Service site in Chicago, Illinois. I'm your host, Dr. Lynn Hughes, and we're very, very happy to be with you today. Of course, you know this show is all about tourism. That is our focus. And we have established a tradition of coming on and talking about the Pullman National Monument first before we do anything. And that is because we are a new site under the National Park Service. And because the site is unique, we still have to just to keep reinforcing uh, who we are and what we do. The Pullman National Monument is a unique site, unlike most national monuments, in that we are a thematic district. And so the themes for the Pullman National Monument are labor and architectural history. And that has a few tentacles, one of which is being one of the first planned communities in America. But that is who we are and what we do. And within the National Pullman National Monument, there are several entities. And so unlike most national monuments that focus on one thing, within the monument itself, there are several sites. We're still new and building upon that, but right now, we within the Pullman National Monument, there are one, two, three, four, five, six, seven sites. One, of course, is the National A. Philip Randolph Pullman Porter Museum. That site in particular is devoted to Black labor history. And, of course, that component of the Pullman history is came later, and, and so it really should be the other way around, but 
the first site that people visit when they come to the Pullman National Monument is the National Park Visitor Center. And right now, the National Park Visitor Center is coexisting in what we refer to as the Pullman Visitor Center, and they co they co uh, uh, reside in the building with it. And one of the entities, and one of our partners, called the Historic Pullman Foundation, who's probably been there longer than anybody, and their focus is the 19th century uh, history. Uh, architectural history, and um, they focus on, of course, the architecture. And so they have the, one of the big draw for that entity is they have something called the annual Pullman House Tour. And so uh, part of the community is what people refer to as frozen in time. And so th at that point, every year, there's an annual house tour where people come from all over the world uh, to the site to be able to visit and walk through the different houses and the housing types that are occupied by visitors, uh, by residents. But once a year, the visitors allow the Pullman, Historic Pullman Foundation, the opportunity to have thousands of people walk, walk through their homes and see what the interior looks like. Then there is the signature building in the Pullman National Monument that we refer to as the Pullman Factory Complex or the Clock Tower. And so that building is where uh, the trains were made uh, that were manufactured by the famous Pullman Company, Pullman Rail Car Company. And so the remnants are there and they are vigorously working on that building in hopes that by next year uh, it will be ready for occupation and visitors will have an opportunity to see it in its full regalia. Then there, of course, is the Greenstone Church. And the Greenstone Church is, was built in 1881 and it was established as a Unitarian church for, for all people who lived in Pullman that were of different uh, religious persuasions, but the, the the idea was to have one place of worship. And that was the paternal instinct of George Pullman, of course. Uh, it is famous because of the stones that it was made of. Um, I think they're green limestone, which is rare. And, of course, um, there is the... Um, in addition to the uh, Greenstone Church, there are, uh, those are the main sites. We have one restaurant, the Pullman Cafe. It is new. The rest of us have been there for a while. Um, but uh, it's a quite a interesting, quaint a place to, to have a, a meal. It's more like a sandwich shop, not a full-blown sit-down dinner uh, establishment. And of course, the Hotel Florence, which was the hotel of the town when it was a town, now it's a part of the community, uh, that is named after George Pullman's daughter. Uh, and it is something to see. And that too is still currently under construction. And we hope that by next year that will be available as well. But I stress that right now, 
there are probably four sites within the monument that people can actually go in to visit. But be that as it may, the Pullman National Monument is still open and we are in operation. It's just some some of the buildings, two or three of them are in a work in progress. And the new park superintendent who's uh, in place now, Kathy Snyder, Ranger Kathy Snyder, uh, is there and she's doing a fabulous job. And so we are all supporting her and can't wait until all of the work is done so that we can take a look, see and see what they actually what the National Park Service actually came up with. The the um the arrangement now is, and I we we have a practice of uh, saying all of that because I, I guess it might have been maybe two or three months ago that there was this uh, national news article that went out and was picked up by all of the TV and the radio stations and the newspapers that said the Pullman National Monument was closed because of environmental issues. And of course, as the media frequently does, get it wrong in part. Uh, there is one building that is not able to be open because of some environmental issues there, but that is because that is where they were manufacturing railroad cars over a hundred years ago, and so certainly there would be some something in the ground, uh, but not something that is contagious or harmful to people, but it is not in a position to be uh, dressed up and open up for people, for tourists to walk through. So I hope that uh, that information, oh, I did forget a couple of things. The, the sites that, all not all of the sites, while we are all part of the National Park Service uh, Pullman National Monument, we are not operated, not all of us are operated by uh, the National Park Service. Some of the entities within the National Monument have uh, uh, agreements with the National Park Service. And so for that reason, some charge admission and some do not. We at the National A. Philip Randolph Pullman Porter Museum are not one of those sites who has a, a contractual agreement. And so we charge admission if and when uh, such an agreement <clears throat> is in place then that will make it possible for us to make an admission free. But until then, um, we still charge admission uh, to the museum. So um, most of the places are listed on the Internet. Uh, and if you go to the our website, the PullmanPorterMuseum.com, we have information, limited information on each site, and you can find out more about them if you communicate with them directly. And I hope that this information has been valuable to you so that you'll be better informed about what's happening at the Pullman National Monument uh, and be able to share with people about us. We will take a short break and come back with our first guest. I, I shouldn't say first guest. He is our contributing host, Mr. David A. Peterson, Jr., who is president of the National A. Philip Randolph Pullman Porter Museum. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Today's show is partially underwritten by 
United Auto Workers, Local 551, and Hughes-Peterson Publishing, Chicago, Illinois. Well, welcome back, everyone. Um, we have on live line our contributing co-host, Mr. David A. Peterson, Jr., who does a fabulous job often. We call upon him, and he's always prepared and comes with very interesting information that will inform us all. And today, he's going to talk about tourism statistics, and those are very important to us all. Well, they're important to us because we are a part of the tourism industry, and those numbers have meaning, and they mean something to us, but he is our tourism stat guru. <laughs> Mr. Peterson, welcome to the show. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Thank you so much for having me on, Dr. Hughes. You are more than welcome. So why don't you give us a little information about what's happening in the tourism industry uh, and sort of bring us up to snuff. We haven't had you on in a while. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. We haven't. Um, I haven't been on a while and information has not changed too much since the last time I've been there. The only thing that has changed really is the the aggressiveness of, of how closer we are getting to Pullman National Monument's official visitor center. Uh, opening up. So with that, you know, with with the emphasis on tourism, we still have to go back to the original statistics, which are the fact that the Mayor Rahm Emanuel said on in 2012 that he'd like to have a certain number of uh, visitors coming through the city. So the anticipated amount that that's supposed to come by 2020 is 55 million, um, and as of last year, there have been 54 million documented tourists coming, domestic and international. So we're really excited about that. Um, we're excited about the continuing uh, influ influx of visitors coming through the national park because they're they're looking for the national park stamp. They're um, trying to put us on their list, etc. So we're having an influx of people coming by the monument. Um, so anticipated, according to the uh, economic engine for the Pullman National Monument done by the National Parks Conservation Association uh, and a few other uh, companies like uh, Chicago Neighborhood Initiatives, Historic Pullman Foundation, etc., have basically projected that there'll be an anticipated 300,000 extra people coming by the monument, um, you know, by the time the monument opens. So we're all excited and preparing for that. And, um, you know, we're really excited about what's to come. Um, so with that, it leaves us with great opportunity to prepare for that. Uh, and with that, you know, we're, we're doing a really good job of working with Department of Cultural Affairs to let people know about the, the different artistic uh, things coming soon. Uh, the Pullman Arts, uh, organization in Pullman um, has officially, you know, got the okay to break ground for their uh, Pullman lofts coming soon to the neighborhood. So that's going to bring a, a different environment of people here. Uh, a lot of a lot of live-in artists going to be there. Um, there's an organization called the Beeman uh, Group, and um, you know, a lot of different organizations that are still collectively trying to make sure that the neighborhood is ready for this infrastructure change, this paradigm shift that's about to take place in the neighborhood, uh, and working with the museum. As well as um, our, our community community development corporation, Randolph's Dream, we're excited about providing these opportunities uh, and access to this information for people in the neighborhood. Well, that's all very interesting and informative. I think that one of the things that happens when 
a community's infrastructure or environment begins to change because of a particular focus, like tourism, uh, there is a shift in, often a shift in population, often a shift in the mindset of the residents, and they don't always coincide how should I say, in a good way. But it seems that the ones that are successful uh, are successful when each of the partners or participant entities within uh, a community like Pullman that has a shift with a strong focus on tourism is recognizing uh, the potential that is there in what we call cultural economic development, which is a part of or falls under the broader umbrella of tourism. But most people don't get that. But but those who are successful in that in cultivating that direction do understand that that is what's happening. And so collectively they operate as a unit and in so doing they can become successful, but it takes work. And so, you know, when people think about tourism, they often think about, they're just thinking about vacations. And, 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 and of course, that is part of it. But there's so much more, as you well know. But I just kind of wanted to share that for our listening audience, because I know you already know that. But I'm happy that we are part of a collective that, uh, we have this vehicle, like live from the Pullman National Monument, that affords us the privilege of being able to have a tool, a vehicle that we can share information, not just uh, about tourism in Chicago, but it enables us to share more on a local level with with people who reside in the area, but also we it thrust us on the international the global stage as well and so having a vehicle uh, or tool or access to a tool like a bbs radio and live from the pullman national monument uh gives us a great advantage and i'm very grateful for that and grateful for you someone like you who uh is stays abreast uh, on the the entities, the interest, and the opportunities that are there, uh, and particularly, frankly, for people of color. And we are grateful for that, and we are grateful for you. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. You know, just just going back to the actual numbers of tourism. Um, you know, I mean, we, we're seeing a big shift. You know, I mean, Illinois welcomed 110 million visitors from around the country in just 2016. Um, you know, and um. The governor actually announced uh, after the first quarter in 2017, there had been like a 7% increase in tourism revenue in Chicago and a 4% revenue increase downstate. You know, so since that administration took place, you know, there's been growth uh, about 3% every year, just documenting the facts, you know. So visitors to Illinois invested about $35 billion in states uh, in the state's economy in 2016. In the last two years, Illinois has created 20000 tourism-related jobs. Um, so these aren't necessarily the statistics that you'll see all of the time, 
Um, but these are the statistics that are factual and actual. And, um, you know, we need to find our way to, to, to find our space in that. Um, and, and once again, you know, that's why it's so important that, you know, people continue to tune into this radio station. And at the very least, we put the information out for those who are interested. Uh, some of it may become redundant at certain times, but, you know, there are people who haven't tuned in at all. So we want to continue to keep this information current. I'm hoping that you will continue to support us and to continue to respond to our <laughs> perhaps all too frequent requests uh, to come on and share that information. But we greatly need it and greatly appreciate your response to our call. David Peterson, everybody, contributing co-hosts to live from the Pullman National Monument. Join me in thanking him for being our guest today, David A. Peterson, Jr., President of the National A. Philip Randolph Pullman Porter Museum. And we are going to take a break and come back with our next guest. And we are back. I love our music. I do. I just love our music. I'm here grooving on my own thing here. <laughs> our next guest is Paula Reynolds. She is the founder of the American Tour Guide Association. She is a certified travel industry specialist and a leader in hospitality when it comes to tourism. Paula was passionate about travel and decided to make it her career. She started on the West Coast and migrated to the East Coast and now serves all 50 states in the United States. Paula, welcome to our show. Thank you for having me, Dr. Hughes. I really appreciate it. Well, we're excited to have you here with us today. And why don't you begin by giving us a little background on yourself and your business and what about how you began, what made you start the business? Well, I had a real passion for travel. And I said to myself, I'm going to travel the world when I retire someday. And then I thought, you know, retiring is a long ways away. <laughs> and then I said, why don't I make travel my lifestyle? And that's exactly what I've done. Um, I travel in my spare time on my own to other countries. And then I escort tours throughout the United States here, throughout all the 50 states. And uh, I just feel so fortunate to be able to have work that involves culture and food and travel. Uh, it's a lot of fun. Tell me this. When you say you, you're just traveling, it's a little bit more than that. I, I read somewhere that you have traveled to 38 countries. So that's a little bit more than, <laughs> than just traveling. I would love to have you to share with our listening audience about those visiting those 38 countries. That is absolutely amazing. Well, you know, you have to be open-minded if you're going to set foot outside the United States. So that's the first thing you have to do. And you have to be open to new experiences and adventures. And I've had 
so much fun meeting wonderful people all around the world. I've been anywhere from the jungle to a five-star hotel, and they're all wonderful experiences, but they're very, very different. Um, two years ago, I went to the Amazon jungle, and I got to spend Christmas in a village uh, with a bunch of families. And that was one of the best Christmases I ever had. They had me up there dancing and singing and playing, and we had a wonderful time. And I thought, these people don't even know me. <laughs> they welcomed me into their home and treated me like family. And here they were out in the middle of this beautiful, beautiful Amazon forest. And I thought, wow, now that's a memory. That's a memory that I will always have for the rest of my life. So that was one of my experiences, uh, the Amazon jungle. Um, I've also been to places like Germany, um, where you go from city to city and you're seeking out information sometimes about that country. But sometimes you end up finding more about your own country when you start to travel. So, for example, when I was in Germany, I found out they had a museum dedicated to John F. Kennedy. And I thought, wow. Here's a country who really respected our president so much that they built a museum in his honor. Uh, so you have all these different experiences when you travel uh, that open up your mind. How do you tell us, a, give us a glimpse of what it's like to visit other countries? And, you, you, you know, we in the United States, we see all the media coverage about how so many people or the different countries don't like us and 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 it's sort of one-sided and one of the things that I've learned from the international visitorship that frequents our museum there's a there's a totally different impression that they have about the United States as opposed to what the media in the United States tells us what people think about us Exactly. Tourists tend to see business and politics in the media, but those are not the average people in the United States. And so when people are visiting me here, one of the compliments I always get is, wow, you Americans are so nice. And I said, but of course we are. Who told you that we weren't? <laughs> uh, and then when I travel abroad, um, people are always kind and very welcoming and trusting of me. Uh, just like that family that brought me into their home in the jungle, I thought, wow, these people were kind enough and to just open the doors. Uh, one time I was backpacking through Germany, and it was getting late, and I had to find a place to, to sleep. And this family goes, oh, you're welcome to stay at my house tonight. And I'm thinking, you don't even know me. <laughs> and you're willing to open your door. So people do love Americans. Uh, they love the American people. But you have to separate the people from the media and what they're showing. Uh, truly, Americans are nice, hospitable people, and uh, the international visitors do like Americans. That's what I discovered. On your bio, I see you, they refer to you as a USA travel destination specialist. Explain that right. to us. Right. So, in other words, when people want to visit a particular region, um, I've done all the research to cater to their custom tours. So everyone in our organization is trained uh, to be able to find the information that we need in order to take the people on the tours. I mean, we get some very unusual requests, and we accommodate them. 
I think one of the uh, most bizarre requests was is I had a couple who wanted to trace their family lineage in New York City. They wanted to go find a store that they owned. They want me to go help them find the graves where they were. They, <laughs> I mean, we were running over the city, and it really we weren't seeing any typical sightseeing things. And they were so appreciative just to have someone who knew how to navigate through the city quickly and to be able to get them to where they wanted to go. So being a destination specialist just means that um, we understand how to get the information to be able to get our tours to where they need to go. The underlying topic that we talk about at every opportunity on this show, and when when we say that this show is all about tourism, uh, cultural economic development, and most people, when they hear the word tourism, they don't necessarily think of cultural economic development or economic development with a cultural emphasis. And so so for us, uh, the phrase we've coined cultural economic development is all about any business that is culturally related or tourism related. And that is the essence of cultural economic development. And so it sounds to me like you've uh, carved out a very specific niche for yourself and your business in that you are, in fact, dealing with a cultural product, but you are fashioning your product to meet the needs and or the interests or requests of your customer. That's cultural economic development. That's right. And everyone benefits when we develop regions uh, culturally and tourism-wise, we bring in the revenue. So let's say that if you come to Chicago, uh, we're going to take you to some mom-and-pops restaurants where they have these great places to eat that are only in Chicago. We might take you to an arts and crafts uh, place where you have local artisans, uh, farm-to-table restaurants. So you know, we really try to promote the regions and what they have to offer. That's really our goal. And everyone benefits. If tourists are coming to your city, the people in transportation are making money. The people that um, are in the hotels are making money. The restaurants. And so it's economic development for everybody when we bring tourists to our cities. So so how does, how do your customers uh, find you, contact you? How, what is that process like? Oh, I get that question quite a bit. Funny thing is, is we don't really do a whole lot of marketing or advertising. It's all by reputation and what we do. Uh, so many people out there have preformed itineraries, and they go out and they sell those itineraries. And then people take a look at our website, and they go, well, you don't have any itineraries on your website. And I said, that's because we want to get to know you first. And then we're going to design a tour based upon your needs. Now, in their head, they may have an idea of where they want to go. But maybe once I learn a little bit about them, I'll have another suggestion for them. Um, and that's how we get the right fit. Uh, for example, I had someone call me the other day and say, we'd like to do the Macy's Day Parade. And I, thought, well, I said, well, how old is the group? Oh, they're a group of senior citizens. I said, do you want to stand out in the cold for six hours in 25-degree weather? 
And they go, no. I say, okay, so that's not really a good fit. So let's watch it on TV. You know, we try to make it so that people will enjoy their trip. Um, things aren't always what they seem. So we try to get the right fit to make sure that everyone is happy. So one of the things that I'm curious to know, what you, your comment just led into this. I read somewhere that you had just won some fancy award. (laughs) (laughs) Something about your custom itineraries. Can tell us about that award. Yes. So Lux Hospitality is a magazine, international magazine, and we won uh, Best Tour Services in the USA for our service. And they really liked our concept of developing tours based upon the customer's needs and not a preformed itinerary. I think it tends to go with the type of people who read their magazine uh, who are looking for unique experiences. Um, people who are well-traveled, they want something a little bit different. So they want you to be more creative. And our theory is we create experiences, not tours. That's really the difference between us and everyone else. So, um, we were nominated again uh, for 2018 for the same award, and we're just going to continue to give great tours to everyone. We want everyone to be happy on our tours. So when, let's say for the sake of this discussion, you have people who, someone who lives, maybe this is an international visitor who's coming to the United States, and they find out about your company. And so do they find you on the Internet? Um, How does that work? Internet or referral. I tend to get referrals from other travel agents. So a lot of my business is referral. Do they have a preconceived uh, idea of what they want? Let's say you get some people from India or from Asia. What, What is that like? Well, uh, we do get a lot of people from India, and, um, you know, they want to see everything. <laughs> that Some of them, it's their first time to America, so they want to see as many things as they can in one day. So we do as much as we can, and their enthusiasm is contagious. They're just so excited to be here in America. Uh, so, for example, I had a family uh, that came to visit me this summer, and the grandfather was 75 years old, and it was his first time to America. And he ran up to me as soon as he saw me, and he says, I want you to take me here, 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 here. <laughs> and uh, his son goes, Dad, Dad, she's just getting started. Leave her alone. Give her a second to breathe. And I looked at him, and I said, you were just so excited to be here. And I said, we won't disappoint you. We're going to have a great day today. And at the end of the tour, he gave me a big hug because I just wore him out. I brought him to as many places as I could, and he really felt the value of his tour, uh, that I brought him to all these great places that he wanted to see. And so what I want you to convey to our listening audience is give us a picture of the uniqueness of your business so that they and get a better understanding, clear understanding of why you got the award, why you were able to operate a cultural business, a cultural economic business in the cultural economic de- uh, uh, development arena without 
marketing, major marketing and advertising. I've seen a number of stories on the news lately about how big businesses are no longer pouring their dollars into marketing, the traditional marketing vehicles. And what I'm hearing you say is you're in that same path. So, so paint us a picture so that we on the other side of your voice have a a better understanding and help us to visualize what that is. Well, for example, many of the large companies out there are corporations and people are trying to get away from their corporate life and go on vacation. So they go from one corporation to another corporation and then they feel tired at the end of their journey. What we do is just the opposite. Uh, We do not uh, jam-pack our itineraries full of things. We make things very leisurely for the client, and we consult them, and we try to find out what their interests are. And so we have, for example, an African-American tour of Washington, D.C. that we do that focuses on the history of African-Americans. And with the opening of the new museum, that's been very popular down there. Um, so that's caters to a particular market who's really interested in that topic. And so we put that together for you based upon the number of days that you're available. So if somebody calls me and says, listen, I'd like to bring my church uh, down to Washington, D.C. for three days, and this is what is important to us, can you take us to these places? This is our priority. And they'll tell me what their priorities are, and then I'll work in a few more things, and I'll put it together based upon their budget and based upon the amount of time they have available. Does that make sense? It does. It mm-hmm. does. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I, I, I wanted to ask about is I was looking at my notes, and there was some comment about uh, something about a, this is an interesting segue uh, that has to do with your business, something about you being called to uh, in a legal case. Uh, that has to do with impact upon tourism. Tell us about that. Well, uh, there are people in the U.S. who are trying to keep their tourism community small, and they only want the people in their community to work. And so they've come up with these licensing programs, and you have to get a license in order to speak for a living in their city. And so uh, I've been called upon to uh, give testimony as to the First Amendment. And so that will be happening this spring. And um, we have to make sure that we can be free to speak in this country and not be controlled by government influence. And that's why I feel this case is really important, uh, because the government wants to control what we say to tourists. And we should be free to speak at any time we want. So that's why now, this is an important case. This is a- absolutely amazing. <laughs> I never, I mean, I I would think that tourism is the last bastion that's left one of the few where government is not involved. That's what the, the thinking has been. But your what you just explained to us says not so much. Now they're coming to this door. That's right. That's right. So the government wants to control and influence you and what you say to tourists. And this is not what our founding fathers fought for. 
That First Amendment is the First Amendment for a reason. It's the most important one, the one that we can't be silenced. And we should be able to give our opinion, our commentary, anything we'd like to say without any influence or interference by the government. So how did that come about? Um, the I, legal issue, I mean. Uh, the legal issue, um, I, it's been going on for quite some time. I was not involved in it initially, um, but um, some people had tried to do tours, and they couldn't pass the licensing exam. And so then they were denied an opportunity to have a business because they could not pass the exam. And I don't think that's fair. In this country, uh, you don't even need a law degree to make a law. So why do we you know, have to control people's content of speech? Makes no sense. Visit the BullmanBorderMuseum.com where you can purchase an annual membership at the level of your choice. And, of course, visit our website here to find out more about the show live from the Pullman National Monument at bbsradio.com forward slash live from PNM to contact us. Port Hughes-Peterson Publishing by visiting the PullmanMessenger.com and purchase an annual subscription. It's just $12 a year. Or purchase an Anthology of Respect by Dr. Lynn Hughes. Available on Amazon.com. So who came up with the, the exam in order to be a tour guide? So the city comes up with the exam. The mm. city government. Mm-hmm. And that's interesting. Now, where is this taking place? Uh, Charleston, South Carolina. Wow. That's going to set a dangerous precedent. <laughs> this is a very interesting. It's also a very dangerous approach and a tactic to use. We're moving toward a police state in this country almost. It's it's very, we're on a slippery slope here. Um, a tour guide is just that. It's a cultural product, and they ought to be able to say what they need to say about the product. I mean, let's say for the sake of this discussion, if you have, uh, if you're operating a tour in Harlem, wh- why do you need to have an exam to talk about history? That you happened? don't. You don't. And New York City is one of the cities that require it. Um, but you don't. It's protected in our Bill of Rights that we can speak freely at any time in this country. So we don't need a license to speak. Um, I think that's unfair. Uh, But there are unfair practices in this country that need to be fixed. So let's fix it. (laughs) I'm I'm with you. (laughs) I'm with you. I I would like to I I would like for you to talk more about your business because this show is is about tourism and cultural economic development. So I would really like for you to share with our listening audience some information, more information about your business and, and so that they can get, uh, because you never know who's listening and there may be somebody who has an idea 
about a, a, a cultural business or a tourism-related business that they would like to start. And they may think, well, you know, you have to have all of this startup capital and that kind of thing. So I think hearing from someone like you will help dispel that and perhaps point them in the right direction for whatever it is they might want to do. Well, you know, we need to shift back to small businesses here in America, and we've got to start in the travel industry. Um, America was built upon small businesses, and so anyone who has the passion and the desire, just start in your local community and start being an expert in your community, and then you can grow your business from there. Um, but people are looking for the small to medium-sized businesses uh, that can give them something more uh, than just a, a cheap price, uh, a cookie-cutter tour. Uh, people are looking for experiences. They want to walk away and say, wow, I had a great time. And so I would encourage anyone who's interested in starting a business to just start locally, become a local expert, and then you can expand your business from there. Well, I think that's an excellent response. I Let's go to break, take a quick break and come back. are back. We are back with our guest, our wonderful guest today, Paula Reynolds, who is founder and president 
of the American Tour Guide Association, certified travel industry specialist. Aren't we fabulously special today <laughs> to have you with us, joining us today? Uh, I'm very pleased that you were, in fact, able to join us today because there's so much uh, information out there on this particular topic that I, I may not have been prepared to to ask the question on, but one of the things is that let's talk about something that people never talk about, and that is travel for children. What kind? What that means, and what kind of experience, and how they benefit from that. Well, the student travel is actually a big part of our business here at American Tour Guide Association. We feel that you really have to expose people at a very young age to get them traveling and seeing the world. Uh, young people are open-minded, so they're the perfect candidates for travel. Um, so in the spring, we do a lot of education tours because part of the curriculum for middle school kids will be uh, Washington, D.C., uh, government history. So we bring a lot of the kids to D.C. A lot of the performing art groups like to go to Chicago and New York City, and they like to see other people perform, connect with other people in the industry. Um, travel really does help a young person grow, and it's just such a pleasure when you they get on a plane for the first time and they step off there and they go, wow, you know, here I am with my friends and my parents aren't here. And I'm traveling on my own. <laughs> it's such a thrill for the young people to feel so independent. But they are open-minded, which is one of the reasons why I really like working with young people. So how does that work when you, you, you have a group of children and their parents don't come with them? How does that happen? How is that structured? And how are you able to handle that? <laughs> <laughs> oh, we have our ratios. <laughs> but uh, the teacher at the school will make all of the arrangements, and they need a certain number of teachers or chaperones to come with them to manage the group. Uh, the funny thing is, students stay together better than adults because they're used to staying together. So they're actually pretty good, the kids. Um, they, and it works out great because the teacher can follow a curriculum, and so we can focus on things that they're working on in the classroom. And if we're doing performing arts, we can work on things that they're working on in their music. So depending on what they're doing in school, we can relate that in their travel. So do you know, are you made aware before you take the group? That kind, are you aware of that kind of information? Oh, definitely. Um, I sit down and have a consultation. So one thing that's really nice about our services, we have a consultation with everyone that we work with, and we make sure we get the right fit. And so sometimes we'll get people to say, look, I don't like museums, no museums. Uh, we like food. Make sure that there's three good meals a day. You know, so we sit down and we figure out what it is that they really want to do and they like, and then I enhance it with my knowledge and experience. Uh, but for the most part, um, what I've discovered is that um, kids like connecting with other people or stories, and they love food. I've learned that kids love food. <laughs> <laughs> well, you at home run when you do that. Well, this is very um, interesting information, and I'm glad we we 
uh, touched on that subject because, you know, we have a broad listening audience. And so this may or may not be uh, information that a lot of parents uh, know about and are aware of. And, and, and perhaps you're sharing this information with us will help them sort of be on the lookout and be supportive and encouraging. Now, I wanted yes. to say uh, before we before we uh, get too sidetracked, I want to make sure that you share with our listening audience your contact information, your website, and how they can uh, reach you uh, um, because we're trying to build you, give you business uh, as well. So how about doing that? Yes. Um, our website is www.americantourguide.org. And you can just go into the website and you can put in a request and say, hey, I'm interested in bringing a student group to Chicago. And we'd like to focus on performing arts, history, you know, just kind of let me know what you're interested in. And then uh, I will follow up and I will have a consultation and figure out what we can do for you. Um, so, yeah, if you just go to our website and then give me some ideas to think about what you're interested in, we'll be happy to put a customized itinerary together for you um, and have you come see beautiful America. We want you guys to come to the United States and visit us. Uh, we love guests, and so we really uh, want to take care of our, our tourists that come to visit us. Well, that's wonderful. Um, I, and lastly, I want to say I can't thank you enough. We so very much appreciate your giving up your Sunday, a part of your Sunday, to visit with us today to be our online guest. And we hope that you won't forget about us and, 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 vis and come again, be a call-in guest and come again. And um, I just would like to say thank you very much. And uh, listening audience, join me in thanking Paula Reynolds, founder and president of the American Tour Guide Association, certified travel industry specialist. And we are so grateful uh, that you joined us today. This was a lovely visit. You provided us with very interesting and informative information for our listening audience. And we hope that you will come again. I will definitely be back and uh, to visit you, and I'll be back on the show. And I want to thank you for what you do for the tourism industry. It's so nice to have a network here on this station to be able to talk about tourism. So thank you, Dr. Hughes. You're so welcome. Don't you love BBS Radio? I love them. They were just, things happen at the right time. I don't believe things happen by accident. Things happen at the right time. And the folks at BBS Radio Network are wonderful people. They're fabulous to work with, uh, even for um, a relic like me. Sometimes it's not always easy. <laughs> <laughs> but, but they are gracious and kind and patient uh, and allow me to do this because I do think that the show is important. I, I get that same vibe and that same, those similar kind of comments. From people, when people learn about the show, them it's like that's a fabulous idea. So we we like to think that uh, we're doing a good job, and and having guests like you to support and endorse us uh, is a great thing. So, everybody, thank you for joining us today. 
Thank you so much for joining us today. This means a great deal to us. This show means a great deal to us. And we want to thank uh, our guest, uh, David A. Peterson and Paula Reynolds, once again, for joining us today. Everybody, thank you for sharing with us another informative show on the ever-expanding topic of tourism. Thank you to the listening audience for spending part of your Sunday with us. And a very special thank you to the Pullman Messenger Magazine, United Auto Workers, Local 551, and Chew Chicago. Thank you to our fantastic engineer, Mr. Don Newsom, smooth jazz artist Jonathan Fritzen for allowing us to use his music on our show every week. And last but not least, you, the listening audience, because without you, there would be no show. And we'll see you next time on Live from the Pullman National Monument. Live from Pullman National Monument was brought to you by Hughes Peterson Publishing in Chicago, Illinois. Hosted by Dr. Lynn Hughes.